Hey, Osiris listeners, we want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, this is Oteal. If you're liking what you're hearing, head on over to patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod and get your bus pass for an extra episode every week. Welcome back to another episode of Comes a Time. That's Oteal. And that's Mike. We had a good one this time. Uh, A native son of... One of our most favorite, if not most, it is most for me, I know for sure, of New Orleans, Mr. Ivan Neville. And, you know, what can you say? He's Mm -hmm. just a real, if you want to get a taste of New Orleans, this is a great way to do it. If you haven't been, after this, you'll probably want to (laughs) go. For sure. Yeah. If the weedy episode didn't do it, this one sure will for sure. <laughs> it's uh, we're touching on a lot of the similar like the themes, you know, just family like music in the family, New Orleans and the and the melting pot that it is, and and just how influential that God that city is just. I Man, I really think we should just go and do like a week of comes a time just live, like just wear GoPros on our head and just walk around and live stream New Orleans. You know. You're so right, man. I want to go when I do not have to play yeah. and do what you're talking about, but then call my friends down there and be like, hey, we're coming in and, you know, just like yeah. do the food, do the whole nine, man. Like, really, it's so great. I'll start packing, bro. You let me know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that place you, so much. But that was Nigel's gonna... first trip, man. We took him down there and he was... I think he was four months old. How old was Nigel? And his first band that he saw was um, was Nth Power. Oh, and wow. Right there on the street, I think, by the Maple Leaf. And, uh, man, it was, yeah, he got a taste. He got a taste of the real thing. I know it, it, whatever, it, whatever it was, it imprinted on him very young. It'll come out later you know it was a magic <laughs> trip man wow it's a magic place and this this was an unbelievable conversation this was like again you know just it's like a combination history lesson and music lesson and just i mean the vulnerability and just thank you so much I, yeah. for for everything and and uh this was a really beautiful chat with a great guy so hope you guys love it as much as we did and check us out on Patreon guys. we got a bunch of amazing content over there. Patreon.com forward slash comes a time pod. Uh, for all things O'Teal. Uh, I got Mike for up 
upcoming shows coming to your area. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll check you out soon. It looks like you're at home. Are you at home? I'm at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that New Orleans feel behind you. Yeah, right. It got some smile room. The sunroom. Sunroom. Lots of pictures and stuff in here. How's everything yeah. down in New Orleans right around now? Good? It's good right now, man. We had some weird stuff the other other day. There was like some tornadoes nearby, which is not our thing, you know? We we the yeah. hurricane region, you know? <laughs> and we used to that, but the tornadoes is a different kind of stuff. Yeah. It seems like what everything now is just kind yeah, of like right? a roll of the dice, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Does it does it feel like things are starting to uh come back to to life around uh New Orleans? I know it kind of never <clears throat> stops, but you know what I mean, like well, coming no, out of the yeah, pandemic. Things are, things are getting a little normal. Yeah, from I guess, you know. It's <laughs> funny. It's you know, what's funny is is I, I got I got COVID again recently. <laughs> um, oh, it was at Love Rocks again, right? Oh! Same place as first time, right? Oh, wow. my God. Oh, no. oh. But now you really went down hard. I had, that I had first a hard one the right? first time, and this one was was mild in comparison. So, oh no, that's, you know that's cool. Yeah, but I bet that was still probably a little number on your mind after Mental, the first men- one. No, it's just yeah. definitely definitely a hard hit mentally, you know. And then, and then I, you know, and then you just feel like this sort of this brain fog and the just a little like a veil. It's like you're wearing a veil or a screen door over your face or something, and that's kind of how I how I felt this last time. You know, on top of having some cold symptoms, a slight, you know, some nasally stuff, cough, and then you test positive for this crap. And then you, you know, I guess, you know, your mind kind of goes a little bit, but yeah. I missed, I missed one gig. I missed the yeah. gig. And, but the guys were able to go and do the gig. Cool. Uh, oh, Nigel, Nigel went and filled in. Uh, right. They, they were cool. able to pull the gig off. So that was good, you know. Cool. Kind of seems like that's the that's the mantra these days is kind of just all hands on deck, you know, like whoever whoever's available will pull it together, go to the bullpen and everyone's pulling for everybody. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, mayor at the garden and Questlove sits in or it doesn't matter. Everybody's kind of with how can we help? How can we make the show go on? You know, get it done. I'm glad you're feeling better, man. Yeah. 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 It was not that long ago, right? Well, yeah, I, it was a, it was literally ten ten days Two ago. Weekends ago, yeah, nine ten days ago when I <laughs> tested positive. So, uh, yeah, I was in New York uh, on the tenth of March, yeah. and then that weekend, that Sunday, I started feeling a little, little rough, and I took you know wanted to check it out. Test took a test, and Tuesday I tested positive. So I'm like, okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, when you got that guy on your shirt, that's almost kind of like wearing Superman's cape. Oh, well, you know? yeah. You know, <laughs> like, nothing can hurt you. He, he, don't, he, don't, he, don't, get, he <laughs> don't get none of that crap, you know. 
That's funny. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> His body would probably laugh at COVID. That's yeah, like, right? <laughs> oh my god. Really? But that was fun though. We got to play. I got to play with him though for that. So that that was yeah, a beautiful was that. that was a beautiful thing, you know. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Yeah. Is that the first time you've seen him in a long time? I've seen him. Uh, you know, over the, a few years ago, I obviously last time I saw him was uh, in 2019 when Dumpster Funk opened up for the Stones yeah. at the Superdome. Yeah. That was oh. the last time I saw him. Man. And, um, you know, I, t- I talked to him a few times over the last couple of years, but that's the first time that that band, that group of guys, um, and uh, Ch- Charlie Drayton was 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 in that in that band, but he was yeah. out. He was uh, playing with with Dylan. Yeah, during that weekend. Um, but Waddy, Steve, Keith, and myself, and playing the particular song, we played a Winos, a Keith Richards um, tune, and a couple of Stones yeah. songs. We hadn't done that in a long time, like thirty years. We hadn't done that since '92. Wow. 92. Wow. That now Wadi, Steve Jordan, myself, and Keith uh-huh. did play together in 20, uh, 
15, maybe something like that mm -hmm. at the Apollo for um, something. It was to do with the jazz foundation and it was a tribute to Mary Clayton, Mary mm -hmm. Clayton, one of the ladies that was, was an, an amazing singer. What was this? They had a documentary called a hundred feet from stardom. It was yeah. about the yeah. unsung backup yeah. singers. And yeah. she was, she's the one who sang on give me shelter. Right. Oh, I remember her. She was a yes. character too, man. Mary she was Clayton. super so, cool. Yeah. So we were doing a tribute yeah. to her. She had gotten in an accident or something. And that was the last time we played Wadi, myself, Steve Jordan, and Keith. We played um Gimme Shelter at oh, this wow. thing at the Apollo. So uh, you know, that was uh the last time that we had gotten together and played. But this time when we played at Love Rocks. It was billed as Keith Richards and the expensive winos. Yeah. So Love there was some name. excitement just for just because of that. And that band is like this sick. It's like, it's like, I, I don't, you know, it's like kind of the Stones thing, kind of, but with a harder groove, you know, some crazy young, you know, hungry dudes. And Steve was, was he, he put it, he, he described it to me where I had never thought of it like this. He said, the difference probably is when Keith's playing with the Stones, he's the fire. So they're all feeding off of him. Yeah. But when he's playing with the winos, we light a fire up under his ass. And oh, cool. we're like driving it with him, you know? So it's kind of, it's a cool thing, man. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah. I really want to hear that, man. Yeah, it's it's out there. You gotta go, you gotta go to I'll send you know what? I'll send you the link or Dude, you, the I'm YouTube right. link. It's crushing. It's uh, I'm crushing. sure. It's crushing. And Keith's like <laughs> smiling and, and just looking so comfortable and just like like a little like you know, like many years younger, you know? Yeah. Like, oh she, yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a lineup, man. Jeez. Yeah. That really you is. Know. It's it's so amazing when you see interviews with him too. When you can actually take a look at his hands. Oh oh yeah, yeah. right right. His right. fingers are just like he's I mean, got some some knuckles that are like <laughs> look like some. <laughs> it looks like he's been a bare knuckle yeah. boxer his whole life. Not a guitar yeah. player. Yeah, <laughs> we've got it. That's partially got to be a little arthritis too. Right? I'm sure. Yeah, right. You know, because yeah. this feel... knuckle, you know, it's that. Yeah. 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 I feel like at rest, his hand was probably just in like a, you know, A minor or something. It just oh, yeah, sits yeah. in a corner. <laughs> part A minor, part cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've been feeling some little stuff up in here recently, like right yeah. there on my, right here. Yeah. Wow. So I, and I've been, I've been using this, um, my, my, um, my cousin's husband, you know, Taku, Taku, he's a percussion player. He plays so. with a bunch of folks. He's a uh, he's played with Fleetwood Mac and with a bunch of people. Um, he he hit me to this tape. This tape it's for drummers mostly, but it's got eucalyptus. It's like soaked in oh, eucalyptus, cool. and mm -hmm. it's very good for any kind of arthritic, arth, you know, pain or whatever on the the joints and especially on the hands. Yeah. So, Do you have yeah. it in your family? It's in my family. So I haven't oh, got it yet. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know about that. I never heard anybody had it. Really. Actually, I do have it. It's in my back though. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. not in my hands. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank God. Well, you know, you know 
I mean, it's interesting you say that like you, know, you didn't hear about it because like we recently had a wrestler, a professional wrestler on the podcast, and he was talking about how he was one of the first guys to like, like really take taking care of yourself like into the profession you know like he would get a chiropractic adjustment he would get a massage he would sit in the ice bath and stuff like that like it's got to be the same with music too where it's like generations of folks probably didn't really think about taking <laughs> care of themselves much after yeah right no I sleep mean, no good food yeah, yeah no <laughs> water add tons of <laughs> Yeah. alcohol and whatever else. I mean, you know, if we, we would have known, like with the song, the song, the faces tune, um, ooh la la, I wish I knew what I knew now. Then what I, was I younger. Right, right? Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like those early years of playing and, oh, I'm going to play music so I can sleep all day, I can stay up all night, I could do all of that stuff, and yo, no. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Be careful what you want. Yeah, if you, yeah, if you know you're gonna live this long, you take take better care of yourself. You know. Imagine bringing up eucalyptus tape 20, yeah, right? 30 years ago. It would have been like, what's no, this guy yeah, talking yeah. about? What's that? A new strain of weed? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, so much of my, you feel your when you start getting older, like all your friends, your conversations are about your ailments. Yeah, <laughs> oh my yeah. God! Yeah. We're there, you know, <laughs> but man, tell me, if I, I want to go back a little bit just for a second to dumpster funk at the Superdome. Is that the first time you guys played there? Um, in that context, absolutely. Yes. I think yeah. I mean, we've not for opening up for a show like that. Yes. That was the first time dumpster played in the Superdome. I mean, that's, I'm just thinking, talk about hometown love. Well, you know, I can't we, imagine if one of my bands played the Capitol Center in Washington, D.C. You know, I just, I couldn't conceive of it. <laughs> you know, you know what's funny about that is, um, and this is some, some trivial, uh, just some info, some, a little, so I actually played with the brothers in 1981 when they opened up for the stones uh, it was a Neville, in the superdome yeah the neville brothers george thorgood and the destroyers and the rolling stones this is in 81 wow. so i am i am probably i am no not probably i am the only person who has opened up for the rolling stones twice in the superdome and cool. how many years later 81 and 2019 wow yeah so that's the kind of right yeah right that's incredible but, but hey you know what so the cool thing about that night O'Teal, you know so you know when you play when you play the uh a bunch of shows you play say just say you play 20 shows right and 10 of them or good shows, decent, pretty average. They yeah. have good good points. And some points you wish you could you could do do over, but they were pretty decent. And then you have five of them that could have been brilliant, but something happened in one song, some little snafu or some technical thing happened to cause it not to be this amazing show. So, so we're talking about 20, 20, 20 shows. 
10 are average. Five of them could have been exceptional, except something caused them not to be. Four of them sucked, right? <laughs> All right, four of them just were horrible. And yeah. there was the one that was just the one that was just flawless. Everything went yeah. right, the stars lined up. But the thing is, is when is that show gonna happen? Yeah. It's rare that that one happens when you really want it to happen. Like that big <laughs> night at the, the one show, okay, yeah. I want this night to be the perfect night. And it hardly ever lines up like that. But for Dumpster Funk, that night in the dome, at the home crowd, <laughs> When we started playing the first song, when I started singing the first verse, I was like, holy crap, this, this yeah. is going to, this is going to crush. You can feel this it. is going to be good. And we got, we played the show and we had the soul rebels come up and join Ooh, us nice. halfway through the set and finish the set with us. And we had the home crowd. And it wasn't like we were, it wasn't like an opening crowd. It was like, it was a lot yeah. of people in there. So Hotel it just love. felt great. And then it, it, everything went without a hitch. I was like, oh, right on. <laughs> that good I, show happened that one time I wanted it to happen. Nice. In the Superdome, opening up for the stars. So I'm sure they were watching it too. They some know. of them, I think some of them, so I know, I know for, I know what's this, Chuck Lavelle was standing on the side of the stage <laughs> in the back. And a couple of them were around, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. Even if it was on a TV screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we're hearing that, man. Oh, that's fantastic. You, you know, fun. man, we got to get you to tell the story of, because one of the big themes of our show is mental health, you know. Okay. Like you say, if we knew back then what we know now, obviously sobriety and all that stuff. Yeah, you've been sober a really long time. It's how long has it been now? 20, 23 years. Wow. It's been since 98, 1998. Yeah. Congratulations, man. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was, 23 it was, years that I'm sure glad that I had a big chunk of with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. Yeah. Sweet I'm stuff. I'm happy to have spent time. I mean, I, you, I didn't know you back before. I didn't yeah. really, I don't, I don't really. Yeah, and I'm probably this. That's one cool thing that a lot of my acquaintances, a lot of my my peers that I'm that I'm friends with, and that I've um, gotten to know over the years, over these last twenty three years, didn't really know me back when I was crazy as I don't know what, you know, when I was doing yeah. the other stuff. And you know, the funny thing was, you know, being a musician. At some point, you know, you you think um, that it goes with it come they go hand in hand, mm -hmm. and we, I thought that for a long time I did. I thought that that was kind of I had a license to do that to party since I was a musician. Oh, I get to get get high and get loaded and sleep all day and all of that kind of crap. And at, there were points when you know I knew that, okay, something ain't right with me. Something's not right within me, but I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, dial it in and figure out what it was until after a long time, a long time of uh, lots of years of pretty much uh, living in, in, in insanity. Because yeah. you find out that, okay, when you try the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Right, right. That's insanity. 
in, in, in one form. And, um, like I had, I had done stupid things over the years that I probably should have caught myself long before, but it yeah, wasn't meant, me it wasn't meant to be, you know, yeah. and it happened when it did happen. And I, you know, I had done stupid, like I've, I've had, a, there was one thing, uh, I've, there's a story some people know about. I fell asleep. I crashed out at a, at a, um, at giant stadium. In 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 uh in New Jersey in the Meadowlands, the Stones were playing at Giant Stadium, and, and this was in 1995 on the Voodoo Lounge tour. And I had played on the Voodoo Lounge record, and I was in the midst. I was in. I was. I had already gotten to to a point where I knew something was wrong, and I knew that I needed to change some stuff, but I hadn't quite really reached it yet. And I was going, to, I went to New York, uh, to Jersey, to Meadowlands, Giant Stadium. And I was going to maybe sit in and I, it was planned. I was going to go sit in and play a song with the Stones that night. Wow. And um, I started getting high and shit. And I started drinking like a fish. And um, I, I passed out. I fell asleep in the dressing room. And I missed the whole show. I woke up and the show was over, you know? And the funny thing, yeah. You know, I was just telling somebody about this the other day. We were talking about stuff and um, this kind of, uh, they were asking me some stuff about the Stones and blah, blah. Uh, and and this, this story kind of came up. And it's the weirdest thing that, um, you know, when that happened, I didn't stop then, you know what I'm saying? So it took me another yeah. few years to stop. So I stopped in 98. That happened in 95. So the tailspin, the, 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 this downward spiral after that yeah. even, because I was so depressed having done that and having yeah. that opportunity slip through my fingers and blow an opportunity like that and the guilt that goes along with that and how you beat yourself up about something like that. That was, that was torture in itself. Yeah. yeah. So it took another three or so years for me to finally say, all right. Um, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like, okay, this time I'm going to really do this. Cause I had gone to treatment center, rehab, drug rehab. I had been to five times wow. I had been I had been to treatment five wow. times prior to the last time I did it in 1998. Wow. Interesting. Did you have like you know usually especially for me but I, I always ask different people did you have like a moment of grace somewhere that helped you like turn it around? You, you know for me that that last that last time it was, it wasn't so, it wasn't conscious. It wasn't like I, mm. it occurred to me that it was just another time. Here I am again, someone yeah. in trouble. Yeah. How am I going to get out of this one? And, you know, what do I do to, to, to get people off my back and to just leave me alone and make, and you know what? And something happened, something happened, something happened. And I just, I remember being in this place. I was in Pasadena and the treatment center was in Pasadena. And I went there 
And I had already been to places and I knew the lingo. I had been to 12 step programs, to the meetings and all of that stuff. I had done all of that stuff, but I had never really, I was never serious about it. I never really given the thought, you know, uh, admitted to my innermost self. And you know what, Ivan? You don't get to do that anymore. That part of your life, let's let's move on from that. I had never really thought like that. And then yeah. I said, you know what? I got I got an opportunity. I saw an opportunity that I just might be able to. But and also I was inspired by other guys. There was a guy by the name of Mike Finnegan. You know who Mike yeah. Finnegan? Mike yeah, Finnegan, God so rest his soul. He he passed away this past uh, last year, I believe. This past mm. year, he died. But he he was one of the first guys that I knew who was a musician who had gotten sober, and he had gotten sober like thirty. He had been sober thirty some odd years when he just passed mm. away last year. But I he 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 along with a guy named Steve Bruton, Mike Finnegan, Marty Grab. And Bonnie Raitt, mm. they were a group of people that I knew and that I was acquainted with from the other side, that I had partied with them and I knew how yeah. crazy they could be. They had all gotten sober. Mm. And they were the first group of musicians that I knew that had gotten sober. So it was that stuff. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm like, Going through what I'm going through, I, I go to the treatment, I get get through that, and I figure, okay, what am I going to do now? How am I going to do this? And I just prepared. I prepared like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try this. I'm going to try. What do I have to lose? I know what's going to happen if I get high and I do that. <laughs> other shit. I know what's going to happen with that. So no, why, don't I just, why don't I just try something different? And that's as yeah. simple as it was. And then I started feeling like, okay, you know what? Something's going on and something's happening. And I'm, yeah. I, I've been believing a lie. I've been, I've mm. been believing this lie that doing substances and all of that stuff made me more creative and made me better and more comfortable and all. I've, I've, I've found out that I had been duped. Yeah. I had been yeah. duped and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I could, because I look back now, 23 years, wow. You know? Yeah, man. I probably would, I mean, if I would have kept going the way I was going, <laughs> I probably, more than likely, I probably would have died. And if I had yeah. lived many more years, I would have, who knows what would have become of me, you know? Yeah. So yeah. this whole, I, I was given a whole nother life, you know? And yeah. the music, the music got really good. Like I started, yeah. I started hearing, I started feeling nervous and stuff. Like, yeah. oh, I'm nervous to play. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful thing. That's something I want to feel, you yeah. know? I don't want to drink my way through that. Right. I would rather yeah. feel that. Yeah. And this moments yeah. like that started happening. And I'm like, oh man, this is cool. And and this just uh, moments of being uncomfortable, just like mm. human feeling, just like the what they call what I heard somebody say the human condition. Sometimes you yeah. don't feel, you know, you're insecure. You're 
maybe unsure of yourself a little bit. And then you got the ego on top of that, the musician <laughs> guy, and then you're trying to battle. It's a, it's a big fight it with all of that stuff. You yeah. know, trying to figure that stuff out. And so how do I navigate through all of that? How do I, how do I maintain being this cool guy and be <laughs> humble and still have the attitude and the, the confidence and to be that musician guy and still be a nice guy and still be, you know, comfortable in my own skin sometimes, you know, all of that stuff just started working its way out, you know, and it, it took me to to work on myself, you know, to get to know myself and uh, and stuff like that. You know, to, to loosely kind of quote a stone song, I've heard this, said quite a bit to me recently too like when you're ready to do the work someone had said too you don't always get what you want but you'll always get what you need you know what yeah that's right and and sometimes that's a hard you know when we're shrouded in either addiction or anxiety or stress or depression or whatever and then you, you come out of it it's almost like a part of you has been sleeping waiting to like wake back up and yeah. like, that's that nervous kind of excitement guy. That's man. Thanks so much for sharing all of it. That that's, yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Right. Twenty three years is. It's a, you're right. It's like a whole new lifetime. Yeah, it makes me realize I gotta Im- be better about embracing the the negative parts <laughs> and and be, even being grateful for them. Like, because um, like that's the whole reason I started drinking was uh, nervousness, stage yeah. fright. You know, I'm super insecure and, you know, they put the light on you, you know, and then people say you're good. And it's like, well, I was good that night. (laughs) Now I got to be like how I was on my best night. And then, you know, I've, I've spent so many years drinking so that I wouldn't be nervous. And now that I'm like super nervous and it didn't work really <laughs> if I still get nervous but now that I'm not trying to like totally medicate it with booze it's just torture but so yeah. I, and I never think to be like wow this is kind of cool I'm like you know, just sucks man <laughs> no you know but just I, know, a little less than I understand I understand because I know and there's times when I, you know what I find I find that the times like when I, when I, when I play like piano stuff and it's just like me playing this quiet stuff, when I do yeah. those kind of gigs, I'm super nervous. That's and when I would be the most I'm nervous I'm super too. nervous, but you know what? I, I really have to, my preparation has to be serious because if I'm yeah. totally prepared, if I'm super prepared, I'm usually going to be all right. And that nervousness yeah. is not as bad, but if I'm kind of, like scared a little bit, like, Oh, I'm going to play a certain thing. I'm not sure about that. And um, you know, my preparation has to be on point. Yeah. And then yeah. the nervousness kind of works itself through. And once I start playing, I'm like, okay, I'm cool. And it's, <laughs> it's feeling good. It's, I think it sounds nice. All right, let's get through it. But Yeah, you know, that's kind of how it processes itself, you know? It is a heightened state of awareness, you know? Yeah. So that part, like you say, if you're really prepared, now you just got that edge on it, this, like, super hyper-awareness, and so that's all good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know, because it's funny, because there's times when when I'm around certain situations, and I, my, my insecure, insecurities, 
sometimes I feel like, am I worthy of being in on this in this yeah. situation? Do I deserve to be here with these people that I'm in awe of and all this kind of stuff? And if I'm prepared, if my preparation is is really good and I do my homework and I'm ready to I'm ready, I'm ready to do it. I'm usually okay, Mm. and I'm less nervous. I I think it's great that we're even acknowledged. Like so many people are so scared to even admit they're nervous, you know, and it's just so important (laughs) to be like, that's a part of it, and that's the best part of it. And I feel – now, Ivan, I do stand-up comedy for a living, and, and, uh, you know, it's – I think about that too where there have been – if I ever – I'm not nervous – then something's wrong, you know, like when I'm just going up there, going through the motions, then it's like, no, no, no. Like, that's not how I got here, you know? Wow. And, I, and I think that that's a, that's an extremely important thing to hang on to. And, and See, that, that must be that's nerve-wracking. Right. That, quiet, that's what that, that, said. that quietness, when it's quiet in between stuff, right? I'll tell you, it's, it's so funny <laughs> when it comes to stand up comedy. And I think that the thing that, I've said it before probably on the podcast, but when, when you get to a, a maturity in stand-up comedy, and I'm not even – maybe I'm not, I don't think I'm there yet, but there are folks who I admire that can take a moment after a huge laugh to let the room settle back down, take a breath, like reset the room, and then start the next joke. And it's just like the fact that they have so much patience and um, – you know, uh, confidence in what they're going to say next, that they can let the room settle wow. and know that they can build it back up again and then let it go back down. And like the room can have a pulse, you know, and, and that's to me, that's like Zen, like Zen comedy. Wow. <laughs> but yeah. yet. I mean, but but yeah, it's it's but there is that. And I'll tell you, my my drinking thing was afterwards like having a hard time like the adrenaline coming off yeah yeah stage like i'm not nervous about getting the needle i'm worried about the 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 preparation and the the tourniquet and the alcohol wipe and the waiting in the waiting room and and the that's the part that gets me i get like so built up like i anticipate a lot of anxiety and stress and all that and then afterwards the coming down part was always hard, you know, so you're up on stage, you're having a good time. And the night's like, ah, oh, it's just getting started. The night's about just for me, it's just going to yeah, start. Like yeah. I'm getting off stage. Like, yeah, you got to hang out and <laughs> laugh. Like I want to, when's my night? Yeah. Right. Right. I've got, yeah, I, know, and, I know that one too. Yeah. <laughs> that's that after that adrenaline that you, yeah. Oh my God. How do you, and the funny, the funny thing is trying to enhance but when I realize, I realize about that kind of, that's the high. That's what yeah. that is. I'm high. That's what I'm high off of the energy between me and playing and the people and what we just yeah. did. So now that's, and I had to learn to appreciate that, the yeah. after, the after yeah. glow of, of yeah. gigging. After I had to glow. learn to appreciate that. Like, okay, this is what I get. Now I'm, you know, yeah. So I can't. This is my reward. Yes. I used to try to. How do I, I make that good. better? And how do I enhance that? And where do I go with that? And then I start doing coke. I start drinking, and I'm yeah. on a party. And then next thing you know, I'm up for two days and shit. And, <laughs> and Lord in New Orleans, Lord knows yeah. where I'll end up after that. You know, oh my people God. can party on a whole other <laughs> level in New Orleans. Like there's yeah. been people that moved to New Orleans. And I was scared for him. I was yeah. like, oh, they're going to die. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I know one guy in Boozer, he did die. Oh my God. And I was like, oh man, this, this town, you can't yeah. play around. It'll get you. You'll be like, oh man. You think you're a drunk? It's not like he's a drunk. <laughs> you know? Dude, they got they got Whoa. a there's a bar there's a bar like two block two blocks from my house that's like a laundromat. It's a it's a bar, laundry, it's a laundromat. It's it, yeah, so you can go at twenty four. It's open twenty four hours. Yeah, you yeah. go in there and get drunk and do your laundry. Do your laundry. And play a video. Play a video poker machine. And the place all is this amazing. Kind of shit. Like, you can well, gamble. Drink yeah, you can go on a slice of pizza, do your laundry, and have a beer and do play video poker at two, three in the morning. Get quarters yeah. for your dryer sheets on the walk back. Yeah, right. I, I, I'll tell you the first time. The first time I was in New Orleans, I was down there visiting a friend, and we went to a Saints Buccaneers game at the Superdome. But before that, where they're at the mall right next door to the Superdome, um, I'd never seen inside the mall. They had beer vendors like selling like tall boy cans of beer, and there was a mom with a carriage, and she got two tall boy cans and put them in her carriage, and was just walking around the mall shopping, double fisting cans. And I'm like, this place is wow. bananas, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you get out of hand there, like, oh man, yeah, that's the next level. Yeah. That's some next level stuff. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but right though, can I can I say though about that with New Orleans is like in that same weird parallel somewhere in that orbit, that's where all somehow that beautiful art also lives in that oh, weird man. No, space. There's, there's nothing know? like this place, man. I mean, they, they, the Mardi Gras just recently happened, and then this past weekend was this thing called Super Sunday, and it's where the Mardi Gras Indians they come back out. They celebrate St. Joseph. St. Joseph's night is, is um, it, it's mostly a Catholic Italian holiday or something. Uh, it's not a holiday, but it's acknowledged. Um, and yeah. it's that night, St. Joseph's night is a night where the Mardi Gras Indians come out in their costumes that they had, that they were out. They were out in those, those same costumes a, a couple of weeks prior for Mardi Gras. I mean, oh, wow. they come back off of St. Joseph's night and then the following Sunday, they have a thing called Super Sunday. And there's a procession of this Mardi Gras Indians with their full on feathers and the whole nine and they parade in certain parts of the city. And that, it, there's people just waiting for things like that. You know, stuff like that's going to happen. And it's just something to do and go and see. But it's yeah. all like so cultural and it's so real. You know, yeah. so you combine that and, and this is and this is inf influential on the music. It's that stuff. The, the Indian, yes. the, the rhythms and the, the, the sounds of the streets in New Orleans. So it, it, it's amazing. What's up, everybody? This is Mike. And today's show is sponsored by Sunset Lake CBD, a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with stress and sleep without breaking the bank. Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located just outside of one of our favorite places, Burlington, Vermont. For years, Sunset Lake was a dairy farm producing milk for Ben & Jerry's ice cream. We had them on the podcast in 2019. 
They diversified and started growing hemp for CBD. And Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to the customer, cutting out all the cost associated with getting on the shelves at stores. They have CBD products for every occasion and offer tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even for that anxious dog of yours, they have pet products. Ooh, I need to get some for my dog that's barking all the time. But Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this. I use these. The Sour Bears. So good. They are CBD gummies. I literally, no joke, I take these every night. They help me sleep. And it's almost bedtime. (laughs) Yep. And I still, as I said it before, I'll say it again. You go to a long show, you come home, my 42-year-old ankles are not what they used to be. And I rub that salve all over them and uh, put them up. Enjoy a, a nice cocktail and uh, just let it ooze right into those sore bones. And you know what, folks? All you comes a time fans, if you check them out at sunsetlakecbd.com and use promo code TIME, T I M E, you'll get 20% off all products. That's sunsetlakecbd.com. Use promo code TIME, 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer owned, Vermont grown. Thank you. Get you some. Well, I wanted to ask you, I wanted you to really take the audience into a little bit of a deeper dive in just that, because I remember Kofi told me he went and played some gig with you. And he said it was different kind of music. And he said Zydeco or something else. And I think it maybe it was Cyril Neville. Somebody said to him, no, this is Indian funk. No. Okay. All right. This is Indian (laughs) funk. And I thought, you know, like I didn't really realize. uh, And Kofi also told me, he said, man, Ivan knows a lot of tunes, man. He's like, I haven't heard these tunes before. But. Uh, man, you know what? See now, you, you know, you know what? See now that that I, that you got me. See, um, Kofi, man, dude. One one night we were playing somewhere, and 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 we were, I don't know I don't remember what we were playing. It was something. It was something that was a, an extension of a song that became just some groove that we were playing. Yeah. And I was in it, you know. And then Kofi came up. And there was a, you know, I had the organ and the clap and there was another, a Nord, another keyboard right there. And Kofi came up and Kofi, he, he used to kill me with this when he had that, he had that pitch where he, he yeah. where he knew what key we were in. First of all, I'm like, okay, yeah, nice. Yeah, really, really. Thanks. All right, show off, you know. <laughs> no. And he knew exactly what we were doing and he would always play. Whatever he would play, I would think to myself, how did he hear that? How did he hear to play that? And I'm saying, wow. And it made me regroup on what I was playing a little bit more (laughs) and like, oh, nice. And so now... Dude, that 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 dude, man, that dude, I loved him for that. He there was, 
he he was one of a problem. There was only one other person in my whole life that I knew that could do something like that. And this guy name was Gerald Kilmer. And he he was he had ears similar to that, where he would play something that I thought was necessary. Because mm, you know, uh, yeah. a lot of cats can play, a lot of cats can play a lot of stuff <laughs> and lots of notes and scales and all of this stuff. But some cats play something that you deem, you say that sounded necessary. Yeah. So whatever we were playing, he came and played something that not only fit but it was needed there. And yeah. if he wouldn't have showed up here, we would not have, we would have never heard that part. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's same. funny. My father-in-law was talking about that today. I'm at oh his my house. God. I'm in his office and he was talking about how Kofi played. And this is just comping behind everybody else on midnight in Harlem on this song. And my dad said this exact same thing. And that I think was Kofi's, Jedi power. I mean, he yeah. had a number of them, but what you said, like he, what he would play behind someone else was so necessary and, yeah. and it just elevated what the other person was doing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I don't, I don't know how much of the audience realize it, but the people in the band, especially Ooh, the person being yeah. elevated, Ooh. they knew. Oh, I, oh, I definitely knew. I was right. I'm like right next to him. I'm like, oh my god. So like, oh, I wish that I would be looking to the other guys on stage. I'm like, I wish they heard what I just heard. I wish they really understood what was going on over here. But no, that's my the, whole life. <laughs> yeah, bro. Oh man. So hey, but my uncle Cyril, uncle uh, Cyril, um, he really hipped me to a lot of a lot of stuff to do with um the connection between uh so, so the the Mardi Gras Indians is a thing. It was a uh, there's a place called Congo Square. You've heard of Congo Square? Is it? It's uh, it's actually at Louis Louis Armstrong Park is where Congo Square is located. Now, supposedly this was sacred ground like a long time ago. This was where possibly some slaves and some Native Americans mingled. Yeah. Congo Square. So you got some, some African, maybe by way of Haiti or wherever, mm -hmm. and some, some, some slaves, and you got some Native Americans that might have joined forces and hung out in this place called Congo Square. And this is what, from my understanding, this is where these rhythms, some of the rhythms, yeah. the, the New Orleans grooves comes from that. Yeah. Wow. And so you got the Caribbean thing, you got this African thing, you got this Native American thing all combined to this, you know, and then you, you couple that with New Orleans being a place of being like a a a, a, a port kind of town, yeah. and also a place where people met to exchange things. People would meet up in New Orleans and trade trade stuff. I'm gonna go hang out in New Orleans and make some money and go on my way. Blah blah. So it was the trading of ideas, the trading yeah. of <clears throat> cultures. So then you mix this all up with all of that and, and how mixed up we are. You know, the people like because I'm mixed up with I'm mixed with 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 French, Native American, African, Italian, all kinds of stuff. So you the 
the signature food in New Orleans is gumbo. As I was going to say, you are the gumbo. Gumbo. <laughs> gumbo that's Parmesan. It. That's it. No, gumbo. No, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but the gumbo, you know, it, that when you when you talk about how, how you, what do you put in your gumbo? Everything. I put everything yeah. in. I put seafood, s- sausages, chicken, all of it. And then put a bunch of seasonings and all of that stuff. And that's what New Orleans, that's what's special about this place. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my grandma's uh, filet gumbo. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she called it. And filet gumbo. That's yeah. That particular gumbo, I guess, because she made it. And that's the first one I had. They were from like uh, Mississippi. Yeah. Like in the Gulfport, that area you know and um that was the first gumbo i had and then but actually when i went to new orleans i had some other kind of gumbo and i was like that's not the one i had you know yeah and so i asked you know and i got i was like that's the one my grandma made you know (laughs) that's what i heard i heard it called filet gumbo when i was a kid now i was i was later to find out that filet was a seasoning yes made from sassafras Ah, sassafras, sassafras is what filet. That's what filet is. That's the ah. flavor that I was looking for. I it's was like, sassafras, that? ah. and that's a seasoning that they put in the gumbo. Yeah, and they call it filet gumbo. And some people make like I'm going to make a chicken sausage gumbo, or I'm going to yeah. make a seafood gumbo. Mm. Yeah, and I found out this this friend of ours, this lady, she's from. She's from like the Lafayette area, Lafayette, Louisiana, over there. Now they can they know how to cook over there, <laughs> but they don't mix the seafood gumbo and the chicken sausage gumbo. It's either or. Huh? Because yeah, I had a record there, and they made a bunch. I'm trying to remember. When I made gumbo, yeah. it has all of it in there. It has chicken, <laughs> sausage, shrimp, crab meat. I put because that's how my mom oh, yeah, and them made. My mom and them had they put all of it together. Girl, that's that's what I remember is filet gumbo and that dude. Yeah. Man, I, that's that's cool stuff. Well, it's so it's so interesting that you're talking about like that that port city thought is super important. I mean, in in, in the way that it's coming, it's a sharing of ideas and a sharing of from all different areas. I was I heard something recently where Sam Shepard, the playwright, was talking about Shakespeare and how Shakespeare lived at outside of London far enough, but at the confluence of a couple different rivers going in coming in different directions near a port. And he would see all these interesting, amazing people from all different places coming and at like at this port and there he goes and writes all these amazing plays and all these different yeah. characters are in it and stuff. So he's able to draw from every different direction navigationally because he lived near this port area yeah. and all of these folks coming from all different places. And it's, it's so true. When you think about the places that have that, like San Francisco again, is like another place mm-hmm. that's got like a really special, unique vibe. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it, it, it is kind of wild to think about that, that like when people do, prior to cars and planes and all that, you yeah. know, like a boat would dock and it's kind of like, here we are, you know, and it's yeah. just like, yeah, and it's like, where, where do we fit in? You know? And it, it it's really interesting to think about that. Like how has all of that 
that just concoction happens because people put some planks out and said, Doc, here, let's yeah. set up camp. You know? I can't it's wait really to wild. get back there, man. I'm coming in I that know. first weekend at Jazz Fest. All right. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see you somewhere. Yeah. I know you, you're doing, you doing old Teal and Friends night, I think, at the Joy Theater or somewhere like that. And, yeah, and the, yeah, doing a couple of those and a couple of Voodoo Deads. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And then nice. I, I wish I was going to be there that second weekend for the Earth, Wind, and Power. Oh, yeah, thing, yeah. And man, Mickey, you know? and the, Mickey and them thing. Yeah, yeah. Kofi <laughs> would my, do that. Kofi would I do know, that with him. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite things that I I'm did. I'm never with Kofi. able to go to that. I'm never able oh, to go to that because I'm always playing somewhere that when they do that thing. You yeah. know, Kofi used Earth, Wind, and Fire and Stevie Wonder to teach me jazz harmony because I'm a drummer, so I know jazz wow. for drums. But um, I didn't, you know, when I started playing bass, I didn't really know the harmony part. So, you know, we everybody knew Stevie and Earth, Wind, and Fire. So playing those tunes with him, you know, and having all the pieces, all the horn parts, all the background vocals, you know, and double wow. keyboards and just like oh man it was such a i'm so glad i got to do that with him that's one of my favorite things that i did with him before he passed man that's some great I wish music, I was gonna man. be that second week for that but yeah, I'm just that's in some the great first stuff. <laughs> yeah yeah oh I, I wish I, I i'm sure i'm gonna be busy and i won't be able to make make that one but I love well, New that Orleans stuff, cats, man. man. You guys do like four gigs a, a day. I got like about I yeah, got, that's like a I got three one time. One day I got three, but I but it's not like three whole gigs. It's like I I got a couple of songs I'm gonna go dip in with somebody for a few songs, and then go to the next thing. But I love how George. I went. You know, I had never done. I always came in jazz fest and then got back out like with the Almond Brothers and something. I didn't really know like all the other stuff. And the first time I did it, I was like, oh my God. So I came back the next year after that. I really did it, man. Oh yeah, you got Played, like 13 it. gigs, right? And then yeah. I was talking to George and I said, man, I know you guys because Russell Batiste, he was doing a ton. I said, how many gigs do you do this year? He goes, oh man, I got to cut back, man. I can't do it like I used to. I, I only did 14 this time. Hey, George, so George, George and Stanton, George Stan, and Stanton, oh, and one, one year, one year we all had about 19 or 18, 19 games <laughs> a piece. I think Stanton maybe had 22 or something <laughs> like that. And it was like, oh my God, there was a couple of years where we were like that. And then I, I cut back, George cut back a little bit. I think Stanton cut back as well, but that, that's some funny <laughs> stuff, man. You got to be young. To, but George, yeah, that's, he will like, yeah, George is made of, and New Orleans people in general, I feel, are made of something different, man. You really are. Absolutely. <laughs> Dude, the gigs that, that let out and the sun came up, it's like, ah, <laughs> that's some, and I saw, man, Russell Batiste, I swear, we got off, our tour ended at Jazz Fest. And then Russell was partying hard back then, dude. Oh, that was you always doing Vita Blue and stuff yeah. like that? Right, and right. so we had a gig. He got off the bus and was like, I got to go to a gig. And then he, I think he had an afternoon gig. Or maybe because we, we had sound check. We had our gig. He had some gig that started like super late. 
Wow. So I went, to, I think I took a nap and I got back up because I wanted to go see him just to see, because this is the end of a tour and he's been hitting that hard. I'm like, how's he going to be at four in the morning? This is like the right, very right? end of the cigarette, <laughs> you know? And I walk in and he sees me and he does this blistering, like, and it looks at me like, and I was like, oh my God, I took a nap and I'm dead. And he just <laughs> was like, like it was not, I just like, what are you people made of in New Orleans? It's nuts, man. <sighs> how, Ivan, how old were you when you started gigging? Like how old were you when you're like professionally first started going out and okay. playing? Uh, um, I was, I was probably, I mean, to make for my, Music being my job, I was probably 18, 18, 19 years old. Now, check this out. My first paying job, the first one, was my dad. There were this, this group of folks, and they were called, I would later find out that they were called the Fabulous 14. There were 14 of them. That's the people that they they opened this club called Tipitinas. Hell yeah. yeah. That was for, that had been formerly called the 501 Club. It was the address is 501 Napoleon. Mm -hmm. So there's this group that they used to throw parties in someone's basement. And my dad had a gig at, at in in the basement uh to to, to perform for, for these, these people's party. And he brought myself and my great uncle, J Big Chief Jolly from the Wild Chopper Tulas, George yes. Landry, my, my grandmother's brother. My dad, uh, it was my dad, Big Chief Jolly, and myself. And he said, y'all gonna come, we're gonna do this little thing, right? I didn't really know what, what, what to expect. So we get there. There's a piano, we got a conga drum, we got a tambourine, we got a cowbell, and that's 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 our instruments. And so my wow. daddy played a few songs by himself. I think maybe he let me play a couple by myself first, and then Jolly played a few by himself, and then my dad played a couple on the piano, and then we played all together. And I played on the conga drum, Jolly had the tambourine, and my dad was on piano. And we played, these people were dancing. Like we were like some <laughs> badass funk band. And it was a piano, a conga drum and a tambourine. And we played for this, this house party. And he gave me a hundred bucks after the, after the gig. That was my nice. first paying job. And wow. I'm assuming, I, I, I assume he made $600 for this gig. He took three. He gave Jolly two and he gave me one. Oh, that's what I, that's what I figured. And that was the first paying job I did. And I was like, that hundred bucks. That was cool. I had fun playing these people that were smoking weed and shit. Everybody's getting loaded. I'm like, oh, cool. So come to find out these were the people that found the founders of Tipitinas. Wow. And Damn. So that, that was a whole scene in New Orleans. So soon after yeah. that, the brothers, the Neville brothers started playing as, as a group. And I, I started playing with them in like 1978, late 1978. Wow. And I started gigging. I'm like, oh, I was still living at home with my mom and, and dad at the time. But, you know, I was staying out all night and going, doing stuff. And I was 18, 19 years old. 
And I was getting this check every week with the brothers. And I, yeah, I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> He's like, oh, this music business thing is yeah, great. Like, oh, yeah. Pretty cool family. Yeah. yeah. I was I had no responsibilities. I was able to just go hang out and I was still kind of living at the mom's crib, but I was out in the streets. It was a beautiful it was a beautiful couple years there, man, with that, you know? That's really it sounds like it was it. fun, man. I love your nickname for yourself back then, Young Scrape. Oh, Scrape. Oh yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Yeah, what's the story behind that? Or can you tell? Uh, that, that's not. You know what? That was just some shoes. That was shoes. That was behind shoes. We used to wear these these hush puppy shoes when I was in high school. Little hush puppies. You know, you'd get the brush and brush them, and and little little suede kind of velvety suede shoes. Hush puppies was what they were called. Yeah. But we used to hear. I used to see old men. And I found out later that this was a jailhouse thing that guys would have these shoes. And when the shoes would get old, they would cut the backs of the shoe off and make them into slippers. And then they would, <laughs> they would take a razor blade and cut little designs in the shoe, like little hearts and like a little stars and that, and the shoe would be some fancy looking little slipper that used to be a whole a shoe. So I got the idea to do this. I had a pair of hush puppies and I I was pretty hard on the shoes. I would scuff them up pretty fast. Like I would have a brand new pair of shoes. And three days later, somebody said, did you just buy those shoes? They're all scuffed up. And then I'd, I'd say, oh yeah. And then I, next, next time they see them, I've cut the back of the shoe off and now they're slippers. And somebody said some, something about those are some scrape back shoes, man. Don't scrape. He's scraping up the shoes. That's how the name started. And then, wow. no, and then, and then this, you know, you remember Houseman? Yeah, yeah. House, Houseman, we used, to, we used to be at his house, by the way. That's how he got his name. I know there's many stories about that, but me and my buddies, we were all high school age. I had just maybe was just graduating high school, senior year or something like that. And we would go to Theral's house every day after school. We'd be sitting in his, in his, in his living room. His wife would come home from work and be ready to, she would be ready to blow a gasket because there, there we are, these little hooligan thugs, wannabe musician guys sitting on her sofa. She's got to cross over, walk, step over our feet to get to her back to her kitchen. And then she'd bring Theral to the back, uh, the back of the house and fuss at him and stuff. And then he'd come back in the front box, man, don't worry about nothing. So we started calling him, we started calling him Houseman, and he started calling me Scrape, Scraper, Scrape, Scraper, the piano raper. You know that was. <laughs> I swear to God. And the funny thing I was, there was a story behind. Yeah, the funny thing was, Theral, Theral, he got to the point where he was his. One day we showed we showed up at his house, and. All of the furniture, okay, I'm a backup, I'm a backup. He had this record player. He had a record player and all these albums. And that was one of the main attractions for us being there was the, was the albums, 
the record player and we'd be in there smoking pot, right? And he would he would hip us to a lot of records that we maybe would not have known about. And Thorough would play us records. Oh, check this out. So we'd be reading the album covers and stuff, sitting there smoking. We and the man's wife comes home and looking at us. We ready to kill, ready to kill him, you know, ready to cuss yeah. us out and kill him. One day we showed up at his house and all of the furniture was gone except the record player. In the records. She had left him. She had left his ass, but left his records in the record player. Hence, house man. So that's how we started calling him house man because we were at his house all the time and his, his old lady left his ass because we were there so much. I swear to God. Legendary, dude. It's so, so perfect. He's amazing. We got the history of both names. Yeah. yeah, he was house the sweetest man. guy. So cool. The Wild Chapachulas, I love them so much. Yeah. They're like just meet the boys on the battlefront. Such great stuff, man. You know God. what's special about that record? That record. Well, it, it's an, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing, and I think um the uh, Smithsonian or some something they put that record as as a significant recording nice. to do with uh. uh in 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 Washington, they put it. What, you know how they they archive certain music and certain records. Yeah, that's yeah. one. The Wild Chopper Tools is is one that's archived like that. But when they were making that, that record, album, so. when they were making that record, that was it was it was my my great uncle Jolly, George Landry, Big Chief Jolly, the four Neville brothers, and the Meters were the band. It was the Meters, the brothers, and Big Chief Jolly. Alan Toussaint produced it. But what, you know what? I mean, how do you? No. My, no, but you know what? I, what I was thinking was, why isn't that a band? The brothers and the wow. Meters. I, that was my dream. I was like, why aren't they a band? Yeah, and this was gosh. in like 1976. 76, 77, when they made that record. 76, I believe. And mm-hmm. I was like, why are they not a band? God, yeah. The imagine. Neville Brothers and the Meters together. And they that's who made that record. The Wild Child of I love, that. I love the that Brothers record. and the Meters together. Start to finish. That's like just, right. I mean, if you need sunshine on a on a cloudy day, you put that yeah. on and it's just, I mean, God, it's so well, good. Well, that's like what you said about the gumbo. He said, I put everything in my gumbo. Yeah, I put yeah. the Demeters and the Neville brothers and yeah. Alex and, yeah. and the Indians yeah. and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my he goodness. A couple, Alan has a couple albums, too, that should be in the oh. Smithsonian. As yeah, output. they probably I mean, like are. Just, yeah. Southern Nights yeah. and oh man, some of his. I mean, and it's just that, that there's some songs that remember Oteil a while back. We talked about like when you can actually like see a song when you're listening to it. I think we were talking yeah. to Donna Jean and we were talking about like Muscle Shoals and like <clears throat> when you can like actually almost kind of taste. Like you, yeah, you can feel can the other song. Yeah, Alan it. has yeah. that. Vibe. Like to me, like listening to some of the like some Alan stuff like really does like Southern nights does it to me. Like, and you could just kind of, it's sun's going down and you're kind of like, it just, it really does like you, it captures the vibe. You could see the streetlights turning on. You can see nighttime in new Orleans beginning and stuff. And it's just, wow. Yeah. God, it's such a different place. thing, man. It's not, there's no place in the country. Like whenever no. I run into someone that actually has not been there yet, I'm like, 
wherever your next trip is, cancel it, get refunds, and go to New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. If you haven't been there before, like you must go before you die. Yes, because like you're gonna miss something that I can't even explain to you. Between yeah. the music, the food, the just the way people talk in New Orleans. As soon as I get back and I hear people talking, I'm like, oh, I could just I exhale a little, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love. I can't wait to get back. So look, yeah. man, I, I don't want to keep you all night, and I kind of gotta go because. But I I want to know about how did dumpster funk start because I you have so much of your life that's like these different chapters. And then the 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 sober chapter, the this last part, this this dumpster funk part. How did that all come about? Well, dumpster. Okay, first of all, okay, so, so Tony Tony Hall, right? So let me tell you about Tony and Nick. So there, there was rumors about this kid named Thibodeau Tony when I was a teenager. I used to hear about this this little dude named Thibodeau Tony who can play bass and guitar, and he's George Porter's little cousin. That's when I first heard him. Uh, he's no blood, he's not blood relative to George, but he he was under George took him under his wing. Yeah, and we are, he was legendary to all of us coming up wanting to be musicians. I'm talking about when I was like 16, 15, 16, 17 yeah. years old. We knew him. We knew of him as Thibodeau Tony, Thibodeau, and we knew of him because he was respected by the meters. George, Leo, and Zig all liked Tony. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know this, but at some point or another, he had subbed. He had subbed for Leo, George, and Zigaboo. Wow! At some one point or another, in the meters. Wow. <laughs> this is back in the day. Tony, Tony. So he plays drums too. He, yeah, he was a drummer initially. Yes. Amazing. So, that, so he and I connected through that stuff. Yeah. And Nick, Nick was, um, Nick's sister had a relationship with my Uncle Cyril when, oh. I was, when I was a kid, when I was like 10 years old or something. And that's how I met Nick. And Nick was singing with a singing group, like five guys, like the Temptations. Yeah, his voice. Oh, he God, was singing voice. with a group of guys that were like the Temptations. And they were called uh, Tavasco was the name of their group. Uh, and, I mean, initially, maybe the name of the group was the Soul Impressions, and they changed their name later to, to Tavasco. And, and Nick uh, was this amazing singer, and he started playing bass. And... In his early days of playing bass, he and I connected and we, you know, we became really close. So I'm going to fast forward to the year 2003. And I got off, I got an offer to play the jazz festival in 03. And I was thinking, so what do I want to do this? What do I want to do? Do I want to just put a band together and go and be Ivan Neville and have my, some people back me up and, or maybe I might want to do a more like a band. I want to do a band. So, and I was thinking of this whole concept and, and I was thinking, well, who am I going to call? Maybe I'll get my little cousin Ian to come play guitar. I got Ian. Yeah. I got this guy Raymond Weber to play drums. And I'm like, well, who am I going to get on bass? Tony or Nick? And I'm like, 
I'll get both of them. <laughs> I'm going to call Gumbo. both of them. <laughs> yes. We'll put it all in both of them can sing. Both of them can sing. Yeah. Tony can play guitar a little bit too. So I'll get both of them. And that was it. I'm like, and then when am I going to call it? And I had been toying with a song with my two younger brothers. And we had a song. I was trying to think of something funky. What's, what's nasty, st- stinky? And I'm saying dumpster funk. And that just came to mind. Oh, dumpster funk. That's some, some kind of funk. And that's what I called it. I called that first gig. It was called Ivan Neville's Dumpster Funk. And that was the birth of that group. And we played, I had a few songs that incorporated two basses. And we played those tunes. And I did a couple of, uh, of some slide, a couple of obscure slide family stone covers and a couple of Ivan tunes. And that was the first set that we played at the jazz. And as a matter of fact, we had a few of the Dirty Dozen Brass Band with a horn section. Nice, it was a nice. wild. You know who else played? June played with us. The first gig, June Yamaguchi. Oh, June really? played with us. The first gig, I swear to God. June, I've, I've and, seen him so many times at the Leaf. And there, there was, it was, O'Teal, it was a one-off. It was a one-off gig and that was it. And then we decided to play another gig the following, the following year, we did one another gig. The following year uh, for Jazz Fest at, at the Howling Wolf, yeah. and we played a gig there, and we did like a couple of occasional little sets like that, and then in 06, 06, we played Bonnaroo, mm. and. It was like this sick set, two in the morning. We played on one of the one of the tent one of the tents with like five six thousand people yeah. out there. Yeah, and we it was that crushing. It was crushing, dude. It was that, and that was kind of, and you know, and that was after Katrina. That's another mm. thing that happened too, because when Katrina yeah. happened, we were all dispersed, and some of us happened to be together, and we mm. kind of exiled. Mm. And we were kind of stuck together some to some degree. And we ended up booking some shows based on not being able to go back to New Orleans. Yeah. What do you do? So we booked a few shows. Wow. I was I was at the time still mm. playing with the Neville Brothers part time, as was Nick. Tony was playing at the time with Trey, with Trey. He was playing with Trey. Oh, that's right. That's right. He was playing with Trey. He and Raymond right. both were playing with Trey. That's right. I and forgot about that. Yeah. So we were doing dumpster on the side and that Bonnaroo gig really lit a fire up under us. And it was like, okay, man, this is bad. This is, we should, <laughs> this should be a band. We should play. And this is in 06. And so by, by that time, by 07, we just went, I think we went on the jam cruise that following year. And yeah. that was it. We just said, let's just play. Let's just play together all the time. Because <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just so fun. And we started developing some songs based on yeah. the, with the two bass thing. And then sometimes without, you know, Tony on guitar. And, and then mo- mostly became, became Tony, Nick, myself, Ian, and Raymond Weber. Yeah. And then we would that sometimes. Was, that's the band. I that saw. was it. And we would sometimes have like Skerrick or somebody yeah. as, as a wild card guest come and play yeah. with us and things like that. And, 
Yeah, it, it just be, yeah, became man. its own I remember thing. When I heard about it, they were like, "Dude, this is banned from New Orleans that has two funky bass players." I was like, and he said, <laughs> "He said your name." I was like. I'm in. Where, where do we? Where do I get some of this right yeah, now? Right, you know, and it was just like, you know, there's only a couple of bands out there that where I feel like I need to leave because I'm going to take all my clothes off. As you, you guys in Soul Life, where it's just so I'm like, the clothes are coming off. I gotta get out of here, man. It's just, I'll be dancing and I'll look, I'll open my eyes and there's like, you know, a nine square foot area around me because I guess I was going to hit somebody. (laughs) Just can't help it, man. Y'all just, oh, man, you guys, oh. Yeah. Too much. And in in perfect New Orleans fashion, that recipe, you're just throwing everything in there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for it, man. This is that's so the first cool. time I saw Ian too, and I was like, "Oh man, yeah, he's funky, yeah. man. He's just funky. the whole, yeah, the whole, everything was perfect. You know, everything was perfect. Oh man, we're so uh, glad to have you on the podcast. Thank man. you so much, Otil. Thanks you for inviting me, man. Thank you. Royalty in my yeah. eyes, man. Oh, no, uh, as, as 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 you are as well, man. No, absolutely, man. Now you too, man. I mean, you got that musical family thing. You you know about that, man. You know, you got yeah. you, you know when you and your blood can have have done that thing over the years, and that's a special thing, man. You know, it is. I realize that more than ever now. Oh my know, god! No, I do what I, I did before too, but yeah. it's a, it's a unique thing that brother thing. It's yeah, a, man. It's a, you're no, lucky. Bro, I, to have that, especially when your older brother has to be coffee. Dude, oh <laughs> I mean, my I God. up, dude, as you yeah, know. Yeah, so, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, man. So, I'm you. so glad you chose life and sobriety you and know nervousness what I'm yeah, man, and nah. all the downs. <laughs> no, nah, <laughs> yeah, you, get, you know what? You get to hang out. You get to hang out and you get to feel yeah. what life is and yeah. Sometimes it's it's cool. Sometimes you have some little obstacles. Sometimes you feel you got a little down. But what I'm figuring out is how to mostly to try to mostly just find some gratitude, something to be grateful for, and to find some beauty in some yeah. little things. Yeah. There's yeah, some beauty that. somewhere. There's some beauty in all of it. And even in the, some of the darkest times, you might find some beauty somewhere in there, you know? And I I just try to do that and try to figure out how can I be of help? How can I be of help? And things seem to be all right, you know? Yeah. With this medium here, man, it's great to be able to hear you be so vulnerable and to all the listeners and with all, just thank you so much for, for all of it, man. Thank really, you the music yeah, and the stories. Thank you yeah, so much. It's very important and, and we really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yeah. And I learned my lesson for the day. <laughs> Throw it all in there. Throw it all in there. <laughs> Throw it all in there. Why you got to choose? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, stay away from COVID and stay healthy and keep yeah. playing for us. And uh, right, man. we love you, man. Thank, Thank you, y'all, brother. Thank you. Dude, Thank you so much. Be safe. All right, brother. All right. Peace. Osiris. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 